down. To God be the glory. It's amazing when I say we're live right now, Krista put on her, her new face. You are. <laughs> well, to God be the glory. We have lost children. I don't know where the children are going. And I had other people come in from other churches and said they're having the same problem. Wow. That they don't know where the children are going. The library. And uh, no, I the library are having problems. Yes. Well, since school is out now, but a church from Hawthorne came in today, and they talked to me. In fact, they want me to come and speak at their church about what we do here because they think it's neat. It's something they want to get going. But um, she said they got kids live next door and won't even come. There seemed to be a spirit of, I don't know how you would label it, but the, the, the world is pulling, the spirit of the world is pulling at these children. And what has happened now is 50 years of wrong method of teaching kids, you get the kids to the church, has now shown its full impact. What do I mean by that? Yeah, well, because now, if you're just preaching and teaching the gospel, they're not coming. But if you got games, if you got the high tech stuff, even now, one of the most famous churches in the world is New Song, I mean Hillsong out of Australia. If you watch their worship service, I'm not speaking against them. But for the younger generation, they got the light shows. My son, the church, he goes and works the sound system. Now, Michael, you met Michael. He said, Dad, uh, we do light shows. I'm going, what? Laser? No. Yeah, all that stuff, all the fancy stuff. And, and I said, Michael, I'm not speaking evil against anyone, but that has nothing to do with the gospel. They're, they're doing a lot of like the concert style. You got it. And that's, and that's the way it is. And if you cannot offer kids and young adults this, they're not coming to your, your place of worship. They are not coming for the most part. And I've been praying and asking God, I said, Lord, what is it that we're doing wrong? If we're doing something wrong, Father, show us. Show us where if we're doing something wrong and then help us to correct this. And, I, and you know what the Spirit keeps taking me back to? Keeps taking me back to the power of God and the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Why all of a sudden in the last 50 years that doesn't draw people anymore? Well, because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit Him says in the latter days, people will want things to change. They will want things to come their way rather than God's way. And, and he calls it seducing spirits. There are seducing spirits out there now, and they don't even know that they're being seduced by the entertainment spirit rather than the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God in Jesus' name. And so what you see now is the large so-called third world countries are experiencing great movements of the Holy Spirit. Simple and natural. And it's simple and natural. Because you sent that, that beautiful, whew, glory to God. They don't have that. They don't even know to expect it. 
The only time they get to see that high-tech stuff, Chris, on a large scale is when men and women come and preach the gospel and they use the high-tech stuff to, to get... Unless you have powerful speakers and stuff, you're not going to reach a million people standing on a field with your voice. I don't know how Lord Jesus and Moses did it. It's just the act of God did that. Moses, a million and a half to three million people speak and the whole congregation heard him. You know that's God. Same thing with Lord Jesus when he spoke to thousands. <laughs> I mean, he's God. But nowadays, and, and I tell you, Krista, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm so afraid for the modern generations. I know. Because, believe it or not, the song that Michael W. Smith sang, he said, when the music stops and it all have passed away, what do we have left? He said, the only thing you got left is what? The heart of worship. That means from here. Because when everything else ends, that's all God wants. That's all God wants. That's all God required over thousands of years. That's all Father required. He wants a heart of worship coming from his people. And so, and I've asked the Lord, Crystal, and I'm asking you all to pray with me and to fast with me and pray over this. For Jesus to show signs and wonders at the preaching of his word so that people would know who God is. And when people see that that's a fake and the gospel in its purity is real, then I know there's going to be a powerful movement of people who's going to be hungry for the real deal. Rather than this stuff that men have used to deceive literally over the last five decades or longer millions of people have been deceived and they wonder why now at an alarming rate people are running away just got to keep shaking that mouse at an alarming rate running away because if you think about it brother Amelia who are the lawmakers that changed things that made them the way they are today? And who were the young preachers in the pulpit when the change began to take place because they wanted to draw people? And I don't, I'm not so sure if it was intentional, but rather than depending solely upon the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to say this, and there's no offense to Brother Amelia, but they're his age group. They're the baby boomers who brought this in. They brought the big bands in the churches because they didn't used to have them. They brought all the fancy stuff that Hollywood had into the church. And what happened? A new breed of generation of folks started coming into church and they was expecting that as normalcy. That was the norm because that's what they're reared up on. And they're now the pastors of churches. And they're the teachers of colleges and university in the Christian arena. And so what's happening now is what they were given when they were little, now they're intensifying it and making it what? Greater. Because you look at it. But yet 
when you go outside of these continental United States and you go to South America, you go to places like Africa and the, and the Orient, what you see is the good old fashioned, unadulterated movement of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people. And they're being changed. And the last thing so on it, come on in, Ricky. Ricky came in today. We met Ricky earlier today. And he's back for Bible study. Ricky just moved here from Colorado, right? Yes, sir. And he's a, I guess, you could use call him a farmer or a horticulturist. I don't know which one to call him. Just whatever. Okay. Okay. But welcome, welcome, welcome in the name of Jesus. And so this is what we are experiencing today. Because you remember, I just did another study. And y'all forgive me for, uh, uh, for being a bit winded in this. I did not know Crystal that current was a million person sized city. That's a mega city. And Ephesus in its area was a 300,000 people city up where it was located. And you're talking about these are powerful hubs, both internationally cities. Multiple cultures. And so of their day, they were worshiping what was available to them because that's all they knew. And what we're about to see today is Paul is going to draw a beautiful picture of Christ in the scriptures in this second letter, and especially in this part, because chapter 7 is connected especially with chapter 6, starting verse 11 to the end of that chapter. And what we're going to experience, everybody, is Paul pleading with the people that was inundated with the system of beliefs that was totally contrary to the word of God. But these people didn't know that, they, that there was actually a one true God. Because they was pantheists. They worshiped many gods. So it was just another god on the table to them. But this time, what Paul is giving them is that when Christ comes in to someone, there is literally and spiritually a transformed life. A change. And that's the life that Jesus is coming back for. He's not coming back for a life that's, that's popular with the majority. Does that make any sense to everybody? But he's coming back for a church that doesn't have a blemish. And we talked about that, right? A spot or a wrinkle. We, we covered all three of those. And we're going to see some, some stuff. 4.30 this morning, the Spirit had me up, and I'm, and I'm digging, and I'm cramming, and, and trying to get a better understanding from him. Lord, what were these people actually facing? And what, in fact, 
are we facing today? Is there a similarity? And if so, how do we move away from that into the one holy God character? He's going to tell us. Now, also, another thing before we go to the Lord in prayer that you need to know about tonight's study is that when you go from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians, it is not a rapid succession of events that take place. This is a two books that was written, two letters that was written over a period of time. There was a, there's a big gap between the two letters. And possibly it could have been a third letter. This actually could have been the third letter. And there was another letter that had mentioned some stuff that he quotes in this letter that's not quoted in the first letter. So it possibly could have been a lost letter out there somewhere. Okay? However, not necessary. Something back then, and maybe there is some points he thought were more Okay, now I follow you. Now that you elaborated a little bit more, not I was thinking more on an editorial, but it wasn't an editorial. It, it, yes, a redress of some issues. He does. And uh, whereas the first letter, as we're going to look at Crystal, he bombards them hard, very hard about their behavior. And the second letter, he's in a sense apologizing but not really apologizing does that make any sense to you because he sees the change as you had said brother me he see the growth that had taken place over the first letter that he had wrote them and said look these are some issues that have been identified by some of the saints there and one of the primary saints that identified the issues in the Corinthian church was a woman named Chloe she wrote Paul and said, hey, these was, this is what's happening. And Paul going, what? And he addresses a lot of those issues as well as some of the brothers who had came back and said from firsthand experience, so yes, this is what's going on. And now possibly in the second letter, Paul is in prison in Ephesus. He's not there with them. He, he's in prison. And he's addressing them and saying that I, I, I'm pleased with your spiritual growth. And, and here's where we get in trouble in our Western world. Our Western world way of thinking is that it seems to be a different kind of growth that takes place in the spiritual realm with us and the physical realm, our behavior. When in fact, the two are synonymous. And the little fancy word that we like to use is called uh, contemporaneous. Contemporaneous simply means you got two coexistent things happening in modern times or at the same time simultaneously, okay? And therefore, spiritually and physically, they cannot be out of whack. What happens with your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ also must reflect in your behavior. It must reflect in your character, your personality, your attitude. Is that making any sense? But some people, they can't 
deviate or, or not necessarily deviate. Let me use another word. They can't distinguish from how what Crystal learned on Sunday or Tuesday night and how she's supposed to apply that the rest of the time that she's not sitting in front of the Bible studying. And some would even go as far as saying, uh, I'm not in church today, so why are you talking to me about that? Can't be a sometime punishment. Yeah. When in fact, when Jesus saves a person, it's not a part-time salvation. It's not a part-time indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Okay? And you're not partly in love with Jesus and God. Either you're all the way in love with him or you're not. And same thing he with you. He's not partly in love with you, but he's fully in love with you. Is that making any sense to anybody? And so today, um, sister over there, Tamara, is working. <laughs> but we're going to get down and we're going to pray here. We thank God for the safe travels. It was just absolutely in a sense, electrifying yesterday to have Tamara and her crew and, and, and Shelly and her van packed and big bubble pack. And we all took off and went to Camp Anderson and dropped the five boys off that we got scholarships for. And Camp Anderson's got to be one of the most beautiful places in the state of Florida. It's high tech too. And it's high tech. So the kids gonna get every bit of what we talk about in a sense. I don't know about that part, but the availability to present, they have the high tech stuff. Let's just say it that way, because we don't know exactly how they're delivering it. Um, but what I read in their program, did you get a chance to see the weekly program? I read what I saw in the program, Brother Amelia, as a deacon, you'd have been pleased and said we made the right decision because the, Miss Marie, the kids are going to be saturated with the word of God. And they got, look like about 100, 150 Bible verses, memory verses to do this week. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought when I was taking Greek in seminary, and when, especially when we got uh, the first two years, we did what we call kamikaze Greek. Well, you take two years of Greek in six weeks. The first three weeks covered the first year, and you have Greek eight hours a day, five days a week. You're actually at the seminary all day long in that one class. And you go home, and you have to learn that night 25 new Greek verbs and X number of Greek uh, nouns, and plus how their syntax, how they're laid out. And you're tested on it the next morning. Greek boot camp. <laughs> it was. It was just like, whoa! You want to talk about your your neons up there, uh, uh, whatever they call up there, neurons, <laughs> uh, smoking. But anything worth having, the Lord said, to whom much is given, much is what? Required. You got to put in the effort in order for God to bless you. And um, I, was, I was excited about that because you all know how I am about the word of God. I believe you got to get in and you got to get it. Amen. Amen. And uh, I, I'm ready. Uh, Brother Amelia, um, an old friend of the ministry, me and Liz Marie Sina today and her daughter, Miss Barbara from Poland. I don't know if y'all remember her. Well, she's moved back now. 
Pray for Miss Barbara and, and Maggie. Just pray that the Lord will open doors for them. That's, that's, that's something that needs to happen. Well, we'll let you pray for that one as I go around. Because of the terrorist attack in Istanbul at the airport yeah. uh, early this morning, killing, I think the last toll was 10 and injuring 30. The, it, the first was an explosion followed by... 28 and 16. Oh, so it's gone up. It's shifted, huh? Okay. Um, and then the gunfire that took place afterwards. Yeah, it was pretty nasty. Um, and Crystal, pray and ask God as you look at Jesus. There's another thing that I want to tell you all. Uh, I'm not so sure that our translation of the Greek verb pistuo, where we typically, or pistis, the noun, where we get the word faith from, is really accurate because the more I look at the Hebrew and study it, they don't necessarily say faith in Hebrew. They say trust. Trust. And when you tell somebody to trust me, you're telling that person, I need some action from you. Okay? Where faith is more abstract thinking, and that's Greek thinking. We want you to be more Hebrew thinking. Okay? I know. But but God God wants you to do that. He really wants you to trust His Son Jesus, because the night in which Lord Jesus was betrayed, He sat there with those eleven men about this time, because Judas had already left. He said, "You believe in God, believe also in Me." And I think a better way to have said that, from the Greek to the English, is you trust in God. Trust also in me. And that's what he's asking us to do, Crystal, because we need a building. And we need a building right now. Okay? I know. And will you pray a prayer of trust to the Lord Jesus Christ? And something else that knocked me up against the head just the other night, uh, Ricky, in Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Paul were talking about how we were not to eat and not have trust in God and he was referring to people who were eating meat that was offered to idols and how people would look at that person and say why are you doing that but you the strong Christian saying, it don't bother me because I know who my God is to me it's just meat right well in the latter part of that verse he said whatever you do and you do it without faith, to you it's sin. Whoa. So if I if we go to God and ask God for a building and don't believe that he can provide it, we just sin. According to the word of God, we just sin. And that hit me between the eyes like a ton of bricks, Brother Amelia. Now, oh my Lord, all this time, doubt is sin. Doubt is sin. So we all going to have to believe and trust the Lord Jesus that he's going to get us this building. Amen. And know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is. I know he is. All right.
And you, can you pray for our children? Because, damn, you have a heart for children. Pray for our babies, okay? And, and Ricky, I know you love the Lord. And pray that God has given you and thank him that he's given you a smooth transition here. Okay? And I'll pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen? All right, will you start us, please? And uh, who are these two people again? Uh, Miss Barbara and, Ma and her daughter, Maggie. Father, we come before you. Yes, Lord. And we lift up Barbara and her daughter, Maggie, Lord. You know the needs. You know you know what they need, Father, and we bring them to you in faith, and we believe that it has already been taken care of. Yes, Lord. Our faith is in you that you will supply and give us all our needs, Lord. Yes. Your word says to bring it to you, and it will be done in Jesus' name. Father, we claim it that this brother and their daughter will be taken care of in all their needs. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name. Miss Marie, Istanbul. Um, Lord, I know that you will help those people out. Yes, Father. In Jesus' name. The reason why it happened, so please help those people in Turkey or Istanbul. I'd like to see more peace and more people that know you that have your spirit in them. Yes, Father. This is the problem with this world today, Lord. We need your help. We need to get the people to know you. I just feel so bad when I watch the news. It's like a different world, not the world that I was brought up into. But it has changed to the worst, Lord. Yes, Lord. Help. We really need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Crystal? A building. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you have the perfect place for us to to come together. Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And remind us daily that we need to keep our trust in you. Yes, Lord. And that we know that it's coming, and let us just hold strong that our building will be the most perfect building for us. And thank you, Lord, in advance that you are taking care of all of our um, needs and you will supply all of our needs. Yes, Lord. Children. Father, we thank you for each and every child that attends here. We, we pray that you will bless the children at youth camp. Pour out your spirit on them. Yes, Lord. They know you in such a way that they will come back and testify <clears throat> about what is new that you've done in their life and help them to be strong and to, to spread the gospel that, that you've made it real to them. For the other children that are, they couldn't go and we pray that you have touched them and keep them safe. Yes, Lord. With them and anoint them and we love them and we know you love them too. In Jesus' name. Ricky. Consistent with the people. Something that is able to help her 
Father, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, your holy city, Mount Zion. Lord God, Israel is the apple of your eye, and you raise these people up for your own glory, and so that they could be your model nation to the nations of the world. And we're asking you, Father, because of your precious dear son, Jesus, was brought through the linkage of David, we ask that you bless and keep Jerusalem whole. Father, we ask that you keep your hedge of protection around them and that your spirit, which is there with them right now, Lord, and we're so glad to hear that your Jewish people are being saved and not only that they're being saved, Father, but you're bringing them back on eager wings from the nations in which you had scattered them. And Lord, you're bringing your sons and daughters from the north and the south and from the east and to the west. And that Jerusalem will be established again as your place where your son Jesus was set up on David's throne and he will rule the nations, Lord. And Father, we thank you and we pray that your word is real and true and unaltered and unchanging, God. And that you have a remnant that loves you, Lord, throughout this world. And there's a number in which you're going to harvest that no man can count. And Lord, we're asking now to show yourself mightily among your people for the glory of your son, Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. And he is the church. The church rests on Jesus. He's not the center of the church. He is the one who birthed the church. And so, Lord, we love you, Lord Jesus. And we present high springs to you, Lord. We give Fort White to you. We give Trenton and in all the areas that, Lord, that you have established for your glory, we give them to you now. And we ask, Father, now that as we stand in agreement on one accord today, the prayers that have gone up, Father, for the glory of Jesus, the Lamb of God, we ask now, Father, that you will honor them for the glory of Jesus. And now, Lord, we're asking that your Holy Spirit, the teacher of our lives, will begin to teach us the words that Jesus wants him to declare to us as we look intensely into your word tonight. And Lord, let lives be changed forevermore for the glory of Christ. And let your holiness pour down like rain upon us. And Father, we will so carefully give your name all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I hope you came to take some notes tonight. In, in a sense, at least allow the Spirit to write them up on the table of your heart as described in Jeremiah chapter 31. In fact, in starting in verse 33, the Lord says that, that you will no longer have to teach your brother or your neighbor the word of God because God himself will write his word upon the table of their hearts. Isn't that beautiful? That's awesome. And giving God the glory uh, I tell you, I, I actually got a chance the other night to go into a Mormon church and to confront some of their teachings. And normally I don't like to call, you all know how I am, I don't like to call denominations and churches out. I don't like to do that. But when I know what's being taught it's contrary to the word of God. I don't care who you are. It has to be spoken out against like the Apostle Paul said. And I, I tell you, 
Even nice people can be deceived and even very intellectual people can be deceived with the right spirit, okay? And what this young Christian brother Joshua and I did, in fact, Joshua was the one who set it up. Uh, I went along as an invite after actually pleading to go, not necessarily pleading, but I'll give you a couple of things because what I'm about to tell you is very applicable to what you're getting ready to hear tonight, this evening, from the gospel, okay? And, and, and don't misunderstand just because you're not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that this is not the gospel. The gospel means what? Good news. Good news. So Paul letters is the gospel, okay? Um, the tenets of their faith is that when the last apostle died, the true church died with them. That a great apostasy took place until 1820. So roughly from 1896 to 1820, there was a great apostasy. And that this book has been distorted, according to them and no longer carry its true value. And that also the priesthood that Jesus established with his apostles had been removed from the earth. And they claim it was restored when God in 1820 up in New York revealed himself, him and Lord Jesus, and, and what they believe physically manifested. God physically came. I don't know if you was Mormon or what, were you Ricky? I know quite a few. <laughs> but believe that God and Jesus came and manifested themselves in the flesh to Joseph Smith, a 14-year-old boy in New York. And then over the next 10 years, gave him uh, all these visions, including the gold plates that had the new writings that he copied. And that those writings was also written, a portion of them was written by an angel by the name of Moroni and his father named Mormon. And that they also wrote the 13 articles of faith. And part of the tenets of that is that the belief is God set up the Garden of Eden scenario. God set it up so that Adam and Eve would fail so he would save them. <laughs> so, oh, oh, stop. Oh, hold the horses. Okay? Stop the train. Something's wrong with this. Yeah. I said, first of all, God doesn't tempt man to sin. It's clearly established throughout the scriptures. God does not attempt any of us to sin. Okay? That was something, number one, God would not have issued a, poor, a prohibition or command to Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God gave that command. Adam disobeyed that command. God even told him there would be consequences, and the consequence would be death. That's eternal separation from God. That's what death is, separation. And so, uh, but they also believe that if God had not moved Adam out of the garden, him and Eve would have been in a perpetual state 
of sin because they would have eaten from the tree of life. And therefore, and I come up, I say, if that would have been the case, then they wouldn't have been able to be redeemed. But they say that God did that so that he can develop man, so that man could grow. So in order to have good, you have to have bad. So you have to have opposition in order to grow. And they also believe that we live with God as spirits before God sent us here to the earth and to be tested to see how we would live. And during that test, it is determined whether or not we would accept God's son and then go on. And there's three places that you go in the final judgment. One, with Christ and with God. The other one is a lesser place where you kind of like get a second chance. And then the third is a really bad place where Satan is. And they also believe that Satan and Jesus are brothers. But it's a whole lot more, folks that I don't want to get bogged down with. But it is teachings like that. First of all, do hear the word of God from the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1. Paul said, even if an angel came down here with another gospel, let him be a curse. Mm -hmm. The word there is Maranatha. And that means to be cursed. And remember, God had Moses to write over in Deuteronomy. He said, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us so that we wouldn't have to be before God. Now, what is Paul saying to the Corinthian church in this part of the letter? I'll read the King James Version here. It says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. But what are these promises he's talking about? Because that means therefore means it had, therefore is a connector to something, isn't it? Isn't it kind of pushing us backwards there? It tells us to look back behind us and say, these are the promises in which God has given to you. Okay, and these promises is what gives us hope. Now, in chapter 6, Starting in verse 11, Paul tells them about coming out of a idolatry, okay? Worshiping false gods. He said, listen, you got to change. Your behavior also have to change. Your way of thinking have to change. And your, what we call synthetic practices or synthesis is when you take and you bring in practices from false religions into the house of God and you mix it in with Christianity. God said, no, you don't do that. Okay? Because that is what makes your, your spirit unclean or, or defiled before God. And as you do the overt actions of those teachings and those beliefs, such as they were having orgies and things. I can say this now because kids are not in here. But they were having orgies and, and all kinds of taking <laughs> your hands down, brother me. <laughs> uh, in the name of their false gods. Okay, in their bathhouses and all. And and they were greedy people. They they were selfish and gluttony and, and wine babblers. And uh, they took those ritualistic practices from their pagan god worships. Because they didn't know any better. That's the way they was raised. So it was their culture. 
And they brought those belief systems, those practices on over into Christianity. And Paul had to say, hey, look, you don't do this. And not only that, by being a lot of them were the upper tier of society, you know, the economic tiers and social tiers and those organizations that we like to say, oh, that's so and so, let's go to him. And give that person more notoriety than they would do others of less of importance. The uppity ups. The uppity ups, you know. In fact, yeah. we still do it in this country. We got the upper class, the upper, upper middle class, and middle class, you know, then the working class, and then the class below that. Yeah, well, they got, now there's a fine line that, that for, for middle class, now it's actually disappearing to just, it's going to be poor and then upper, right? <laughs> so, so it's disappearing. But people were using those in the Corinthian church as a way to discriminate and make other people feel less important. Okay? And, and in fact, Paul do address this in a previous letter when he talked about the gifts of the Spirit. And he said one of the gifts from God is a person who have this gift. It's called the gift of helps. You remember reading that? The gift of helps. That means that you go and you do whatever's necessary to make help make the body function. Okay, just because you're not the eye that can see everything or the ear that can hear everything or the nose that can smell everything or the mouth that can speak or the hands that can touch or the feet that can move, Paul said it doesn't mean you're not just as important as that strand of hair, okay, or that little toe. Cause what happened if you hit that little toe on the, on the coffee leg in the middle of the night? What do you do? It makes you know it's there. Am I right? Makes you yeah. sing, dance, jump. Yeah, and even say magic words that you didn't think you could say. <laughs> okay? You construct all kind of adverbs all of a sudden and adjectives. <laughs> you, you really do. And so, uh, huh? <laughs> yeah, you think that, yeah. But uh, he was telling them, come on, guys, don't, don't do that. You, you don't do this in the house of God because there's one body. And the head of that body is Christ. There are many members. And then he even dealt with, and I didn't realize this, Brother Amelia, he showed a parallelism, a side-by-side -side of, okay, in your society there are different jobs. Some jobs bring great esteem and some jobs doesn't, right? Uh, most of us don't want to work on the garbage truck, right? But we want an office on the seventh floor, next to the window, right? With the AC. With the AC. Is that child, and with a six-digit figure, and we're going, wow, you know, that's, you got it going on. In my own parking space. But about 20 years ago, the city of New York shut down almost because the garbage workers went on strike. All of a sudden, that guy that took out your garbage, people realized how important he was. Almost shut down the city of New York. And now garbage workers make some money. It's very lucrative to own a garbage company, especially with recycling and stuff. But anyway, so Paul uses this analogy, and it talks about the gifts of the Spirit on how, you know, we're not to look at one gift more important than the other one. Okay? And as he brings the Corinthians on up, 
Uh, let me see if we can go back to chapter 7. Go to the top right there on that one. And scroll. Okay, hold on. Right there. And it tells them, uh, Oh, you Corinthians, our mouth is open to you. Our heart is enlarged. What is he saying there? He's talking about, I just backed up to chapter 6 a little bit to kind of bring you forward. He's, he's just saying to you, he said, uh, we have affection for you. We care for you. And one of the common complaints in the modern day church is that when new people especially go to a church that's been there for a while, they said, well, nobody paid me any attention. They don't even know I exist. Okay? Or I see some of them out in the store, and I speak to them, and they look at me like, who are you? And so those people end up packing up, going somewhere else to worship. And I told them, I said, instead of packing up, going somewhere else to worship, why don't you stay and help make the change? You be different. You be what you're supposed to be in the eyes of Lord Jesus. Okay? Because that's how change takes place. It starts with one. And, and, and you allow the Holy Spirit to do that with you. But it's saying, we can't, and it says, uh, you are not straightening us, but you are straightening in your own vows. Uh, kind of. <laughs> you cause yourself to look bad. It's not us. Okay? And, and vows mean there's a problem with the heart. You got a heart issue. Okay? <laughs> and now for a recompense in the same, other words, a payback. Are you following me, Crystal? I am. Uh, I speak as unto my children, but you're also enlarged. What is it saying? <laughs> yeah, you know, even adults sometimes have to be looked as as children. Because you remember one of the things Lord Jesus said, unless you come to me like little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay? Yeah, you, you got to submit yourself to Jesus and, and, and humble yourself. Because a child doesn't come with expectancy to be recognized as something big and something boastful. A child comes up, there's Jesus, everybody, let's go. There's Jesus. Yeah. Right? Well, moving right along. What follows next is absolutely not really paid attention to today. Don't be yoked with unbelievers. Corinthians, you just came out of out of worship. Why do you want to put yourself back in company of that? Why would you want to have a circle of friends who don't believe in your God and your Savior, Jesus Christ? Why, why do you want to associate with people who really you have nothing in common with anymore? To try to take, try to get him or them there's a difference between sharing the gospel. He didn't say not do that. Then going out and also parting with them and doing the things they do. Because some of these Christians were still going to the bathhouses. 
Why put yourself in the predicament? Why put yourself in the predicament? Because remember, King Solomon actually wrote, he said, bad company corrupts good morals. So I thought, wow, and I've seen this over the years. I've been in ministry 37 years, and I've actually seen a good guy, a good gal, who started hanging out with the wrong folks, but yet tell you, oh, I got it, I got it. I said, are you sure now? Oh, yeah, I can do it. That person is hooked on drugs. That person is getting drunk. That person got babies out of the yin-yang and not married. You know, he has, he's a father of many kids, but there's no ring on any woman's finger. So and you're going, hmm, what happened? Oh, I'm just being me, me, God, no, we, we, we good, really. Like, you really think so? And so, and you're not trying to hammer people, you just want to point out the truth to them. Now, but Jesus, I, I want you to keep this in mind. Lord Jesus' blood covers a multitude of sins, okay? And his love that he brought to us from heaven is absolutely was alien to this world. What I mean by that, the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, they did not know God. They knew of him. They knew that there was a God, the God of their fathers, but they didn't know the one true God. Therefore, when God began to perform those signs and wonders in Egypt, we called them the ten plagues, right? They still didn't really go, wow, look at that, God is real. They didn't do that and, and went flocking to him. Because what happened, even the last big plague that broke Egypt's backbone, right? The death of the firstborn, the night of the Passover. Did you know, even after that, they still didn't flock to God. And even after God had Moses open up the Red Sea, when God blew an east wind all night long and made a dry route through the midst of the sea, to me, that would have been pretty convincing to me. Okay? Not even the sandals got wet. Not even the sandals got wet. I mean, to me, it didn't take a whole lot of brain power to be convinced that God is God, Okay? And especially after having seen what happened back in Egypt and I'm, I'm no longer a slave yeah. and nobody's putting a whip to my backside and make me carry bricks uh, um, that's me but even in modern times everybody there's still a level of doubt out there because Jesus said that even the prince of this world, through the, through the writings of Paul, he said the prince of, the, of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they cannot see the one true God. That's why you have people saying God doesn't exist. Or even say, if they think God exists, they would say uh, God doesn't care. They're playing everything on. Yes. And then they began to set conditions for God, and then they want to negotiate God, with God. Well, God, if you love me, do this, this, and this. And in return, I'll do this and this for you. Making deals. Yeah, making deals. But that's not the way it goes. They don't get to write the rules to the book. They've already been written by God himself. Is, is that making everybody okay with the truth there? I hope so. And so, but, but don't be unequally yoked. Uh, 
come on. I love my brother. I love my sister. And you telling me, look, if you love him, go down on your knees and pray for him. Ask Jesus to have mercy. Ask Jesus for the grace of the Father to flow from him to them so that the veil of their eyes will be removed so they can see the truth. See what the adversary of God is doing to them to keep them from being saved. That's what you got to pray for. All right? Just to jump on down. Keep going. And so finally, go back up. You went too far. Okay, go back. Go, keep going back up a little bit. I just wanted to. So in verse 17, he tells him, come on out. You've done a good job so far in loving Jesus with your life. But there's some things God wants you to shake loose. In order to do that, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Love him, embrace him, meditate upon his goodness and his kindness every day. And when you do, in your heart, you wouldn't want to offend him. You would simply want to love him and walk out from there and be separated from the folks that still try to pull you. Because I guarantee you, if you start hanging around long enough, you know how many times guys next door have asked me to say, come on, preacher, have a drink with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to come on, what you drinking, preacher? I say, tea? I said, but it's not on Long Island, though. Okay? <laughs> but if the Spirit of Christ didn't give me the strength to resist it, I will probably end up indulging in being on an intoxicated beverage probably could lead to other things. All right? Because there's all kinds of single women over there that would love to have a trophy. I'm not saying I'm a trophy. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) But the devil would love to say, look, she just took a trophy, a prize trophy. That's a pastor. Can you see the headlines now? And so he says, look, because he knows, Paul knows the benefit of coming from, uh, you know, out from people with that kind of lifestyle and keeping yourself pure. Because what he's doing now, Tamara, he's now using Old Testament language that's saying, be holy for the Lord your God, he says, I am holy, God said to Israel. So when you go into the land, this is, this is the practices. These are the lifestyle. These are the behaviors. This, these are the attitudes and personality of the people that's already there. Okay? God already knew the nations that was in the land of Canaan. He knew their lifestyle. He already knew what they were doing. And so, and he was sending his people right in the middle of them. Okay? And so he said, now when you go there, this is what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to copycat them. I don't want you to emulate their lives. I want you to be who I say you are. And in modern time, Jesus says, I want you to be what I am. And the only way you can get there is by fixing your eyes on me. 
Amen. And loving me. And when you do that, then you're able to walk in holiness. You will be holy like God. You will be holy like Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, just in case people don't know this little small part, Jesus is just like God. <laughs> okay? <laughs> There's no difference, no deviation in, you know, between their holiness. He is called in the Old Testament the Holy One of God. Okay? And he is called the Messiah, the Anointed One. Well, what does that mean? Well, God has set him aside. He's different than everybody else on earth. No sins. Yeah, no sins. And then God gave the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, tells you and I that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet without sin. Okay? What do you mean by every way? Okay, put your imagination to work and then you'll see it. Think about it. Okay? <laughs> and so whatever way that is, or ways there are, proper English, right? Then you can see it. You can experience it. But, it in the gutter? Yeah. He was tempted to go to the gutter. He was tempted to go to the high fashion world, okay, and be like the kings. And then he was tempted to do... You know, hey, Jesus. Yeah. And a little girl took a little gown and did this. <laughs> okay. And not only that, but even boys. Yeah. At least everywhere. But, but he had already conquered the desire of temptation in the wilderness, even before he preached the first sermon or did the first miracle when he was tempted by the tempter. When he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, what he did, he made sure that his flesh, not his spirit, because he can do anything in the spirit, mm -hmm. but his flesh as a human was able to withstand the most powerful temptation when the tempter came. Okay? And he was the best. And so, he withstood him. Now, so Paul is giving the church now in Corinth. A very beautiful picture of Jesus here. And even though he said, well, he's not really describing Jesus in all his, his words to them. Yes, he is. He really is. Because if you study the Old Testament writings, you will see that the Messiah is absolutely the warrior of God who has never done anything wrong. Yeah. Never done anything wrong. The son of God. That's why in Psalms 2, he said to him, he said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. What? Well, what does that mean? Does God live with a harlot? No. Does God steal? No. Does God murder? No. Does God lie? No. Nothing but the truth is in him. Because it said Moses came, he said the law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Grace means that he's absolutely every bit of God. The Father. He's just like his Father. And he speaks the word of truth. And he gave what the adversary was who was opposite of him. He says he's the father of lies. He says there's no truth in him. So he really is giving a beautiful description of the Son of God as a man. What? Yes, as Mary's son on earth, the carpenter boy, 
He is really giving a description of the carpenter boy, even when he was a little boy, as we first seen him in the temple at age 12, all the way up to a young man at the age of 30, and all that's in between that's implied. He is absolutely the holiness of God on earth. He didn't backtalk his mama. He didn't be sneaky around with the little teenage girls in Nazareth. Okay? And he didn't go to the local pub and pull, put one on with the boys. All right? No disrespect to the elders. He was every bit of the epitome of holiness. Because the earth had never seen anyone like him. But you know what's so good about him? He birthed children. It's called the church. That's you and me by the spirit. Hello. Because if you look in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, it says, whoever does not have the spirit of Christ in them is not his. So he births us by the spirit. So we're no longer, that's why Paul said you're no longer flesh. You're not just a human. Is a human with the spirit of God in you. Amen. Amen. You're no longer the same. And so what he's telling the Corinthian church, once again, he said, and he said, look, look what he quotes now. Wherefore come out from among them and be separated, said the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Perfect picture of holiness, right, Crystal? And then he turns around in verse 18. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be sons and daughters, said the Lord Almighty. Wow! Whoever thought that the creator of the universe would say, that's my daughter, or Ricky, that's my son, or you, that's my daughter, that's my daughter, that's my son, that's my son. Okay, he's saying this to mankind. You belong to me. You belong to me, but by way of Jesus. And as such, we are the different people on earth. We are God's light. We're the light of Christ on earth. Okay? Not just someone that stands up and preach and teach, but someone who actually living out the gospel, the good news of the Father, the good news of the Son, the good news of the Spirit, of the Spirit, good news of the kingdom of God. Okay? Is that making sense of the interview? And now we get to the verse where we want to be. And here, here's that verse, verse, verse uh, 1. Okay, you went too far, sis. Bring back. Oh, slow down. Whoa, let's see, where are you? What in the world just happened? Yeah, there we are. It messed with my eyes for a second. Okay. Now, having these promises, and I be say, since we have these promises, uh, New King James Version said, therefore, having these promises, beloved. Okay, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. All right, we got some unpacking to do, Crystal. It's time to define some stuff. What is filthiness of the flesh? Absolutely. 
of the flesh and of the spirit. Because if you had never been to a church before, and this is your first time hearing the word of God, what would that mean to you? What would that mean to you? You just walked in off the streets, and it's the first time you're hearing someone teach this. How do you get that in your heart and get a visual picture of what that looks like so that you can understand it? How, how can I grab a hold of this? Well, here's the thing. If I walked in not knowing the Word of God, it seems to me like I would have to change the way I was living by my life, how I can to be a better person to be accepted. Okay. I've got to clean my attitude. I've got to clean my person in order to be right come here. Alright, so you're saying that there has to be some adjustments made in your behavior and stuff like that. Yeah, because I, But how would you know that? Because I was asked a long time ago and I thought that I wasn't uh, ready. And when I say... Okay, I, I, but I, how would you know to be ready? What told you that you had to do these things? Because you just come in off the streets and you're just hearing this for the first time. Right. And how would you even know you're sitting there, in a sense, can I use the term dumbfounded? You go, what does that mean to me? What, yeah. Why isn't the way I live okay? Right. What's different than I am, so I have to, I'm the one that needs to clean myself up. Because now he's addressing the people that have familiarity with church language, right. language of the Bible. And keep in mind, there's no Matthew, Mark to, uh, I mean, Matthew to Revelation now. <laughs> These letters are being written as church is, is, is developing and growing by the Holy Ghost. Okay? So what they have is from Genesis to Malachi. Right. And so, and someone is telling you that some that this man died on a tree for you, and, and his, his, his daddy is God himself, his father's God, and God has a standard of living that he has established for his people. And you're going, but, but what's that? Am I okay? Am I not his people? And, and you're sitting here, and so you walk in the middle of this conversation, and I will use a portion of what you just said as a teaching tool to, to describe that, okay, filth of the flesh means what defiles you, what makes you unacceptable before God? And that's, that's what we're getting at. Am I right? What makes you unacceptable before God who's holy? Well, flesh, this is what he's referring to. What kind of behaviors am I involved in in my daily living that has to go away completely? The pagan worship that they were involved in. Yes. Part of it was a pagan worship. Okay. The daily temple visits, sacrificing to idols, okay? These kind of things is what he's saying. That, that, that makes you look bad before God. That just corrupted your flesh before God. Your vessel is no longer clean enough to come before God, okay? Because those kind of things are not attached to God at all. Am I making sense, Ricky? And... But what about modern day time? 
But there are still the idols. There are still the false gods. There are still places that people go to, and there are still things people bow down to and worship that God is not pleased with. Am I right? And so it's those overt acts that God said, uh, you got to cut that out. Jesus, you know, you got to look at the life of Jesus because he is the standard of God in all generations, not just his time, but in our time too. Because Jesus was not there bumping and grinding with a woman. I'm just being real. I'm just putting it out there, okay? And Jesus wasn't out there undermining the Romans on the taxes. Because remember, even up in Capernaum, the question was asked, does your master pay taxes? And they were referring to temple taxes. And Peter was going, and Jesus said, Peter, okay, if the children of the one that's doing this, if they have to pay taxes, do they have to pay taxes or the slaves? He said, the slaves. He said, then the children are free. Yes. He said, well, Peter, go out there, and I want you to take a hook, throw it in the water, catch a fish, pull him up, then open his mouth, and there's a coin. Go pay the taxes for you and me. And the other part that down in Jerusalem, they really got tried to outsmart him and said, <laughs> does he respect Caesar? Let's catch him in a trap. Uh, do you pay taxes? And she said, come here. Because he already knew what the game was. So give me the coin. Whose superinscription is on this? They say Caesar. He said, give to Caesar what Caesar and give to God what's God. Boo! Bam! He slammed him. Okay? So he's saying, listen, I understand there are things that you're going to do on earth that you're required to do, but they shouldn't interfere what God requires too. Okay? Live your life on earth among people that are not saved. He didn't say pack up and move out of your neighborhoods and leave your jobs. He didn't say do that. He's saying, don't you live the way that they're living. You be different, and the way we do that is by embracing Jesus with all our hearts. Okay? And the Holy Spirit will strengthen us to do that. And then people will see, you're different. Yeah, let me tell you. Well, why are you different? Oh, I got a lover that's greater than my wife, that's greater than my husband, greater than my children. Well, who's that? His name is Jesus, the maker of my soul. <laughs> okay? Now, so now we kind of hit on a little bit the aspects of what defiles the flesh. During those overt acts that you know God is not approving of. Okay? Well, <laughs> what about the spirit? Uh-oh. Now you're going into a different arena. This is the spirit, the heart. Jesus in his first sermon, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, he says, I say to you, you shall not, he said, it is written, you shall not commit adultery. 
Everybody here knows what adultery is, right? But then he said, now that's the nasty act. That's the, that's the overt act. That's get your flesh filthy, right? It defiles your flesh when you're sleeping with another man's wife or a man sleeping with your wife, right? That just made their flesh <laughs> defile. But he said, now what's going to defile your spirit is when you start thinking about the act up here. It's the state of mind, everybody. Right here, those things that you hear that goes in your listening pole right here. Like my drill sergeant used to call it, your listening pole. The things that you hear that corrupts you. It corrupts your spirit. And it, as it goes into the spirit, it causes your spirit to move in the flesh and the flesh to commit the acts. Therefore, both spirit and flesh is now what? Corrupt. So they go together. So you clean one, you got to do what? Clean the other one. You cannot do both. I mean, if you clean the spirit, it's a start. Oh, I stopped thinking about it, and then go put your hands on a woman's butt. Oh, whoa. Right back to square one. Right back to square one. So you got to clean up the thinking and clean up the actions. Okay? Now, it's going to get into an area here. So you're purifying yourselves, okay? Don't do those things that contaminate the body and spirit, perfecting holiness, and the reverence for God. What is reverence? You remember we talked about in Exodus chapter 33, when the pillar cloud came down, when God came down in the pillar cloud to the door of the tabernacle, and Moses was in the tabernacle, and the children of Israel were standing in the door of their tents, and they saw when the cloud came down, the moment they saw that cloud came down, the scriptures tells you and I that those people prostrated themselves and began to worship God. Because they feared God. You really think God going to show up and you not do something? Oh, no, 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 no. Things are not going to stay the same. I'm, I'm telling you. Because what happened when God came down on that mountain? The whole nation trembled. And the writer of Hebrew who later write that, that, that Moses said, that I even feared for my own life. Moses was scared because he had never seen that. And so early part of the letter, he said, because we fear God, we fear the Lord, we persuade men. That's what Paul had said earlier in the letter. Because we know that men will stand before Jesus on the day of judgment. And we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ too as believers. He said because of that, that fear of standing there and not knowing what he's going to do. He said we persuade men to do what's right. But in America, we have this this, this belief that if I come to you and tell you to stop a certain behavior, I'm judging you. 
and that we hate them. I spent a bit of time this morning speaking with a, a sister in Christ who don't seem to understand that God will send good people to hell if they don't have Jesus. If they're not obeying God's commandments, they're not keeping Lord Jesus' commandments. Well, we're going to take a look at some things, and this is the part that I want you to, to get in your head. I wrote this out last night or early this morning on my tablet, and I emailed it to myself so I can print it here, and it printed out very small, so I can't give you a copy of it. I could, but it'd be useless. So I'm going to take these glasses off, and I'm going to attempt to read it to you. As the Spirit had me, I wanted you all to grab hold of what the language of the Bible is. Is that making sense to you today? Okay. Here we go. We won't be here much longer. I know you got babies at home you want to get to, Crystal. Or maybe this is a vacation for you. <laughs> she said she's enjoying Okay. <laughs> so, transgression. Transgression is the act of doing what? Going against the law. Whose law? The Lord's law. It can be man's law or God's law. So it's an act that goes against a law, a rule, or a code of conduct. It's an offense. Okay? Iniquity. We see that in the Bible too, right? It's something that's immoral. Unjust behavior or wicked behavior. That's iniquity. Immoral means it doesn't necessarily have to be criminal. Right. Although it's not against man, but it could be against who? God. All right. Now here's the part, and Paul is going to address. Let me read on down for a little bit further here. So you can get the full picture of this. All right, having therefore these promises, let's clean ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your heart to us, or we have affection towards us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all of our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. In other words, that's a person that's in both kinds of distress. They're fearful for their lives and they're suffering anxieties, okay, about what's going on. Um... Tamara, can you, is it possible you can put verse 6 up to the top? No, you're going down. You're going the opposite way. No, no, no. Go to the bottom, the bottom arrow. There you go. Use, use that one. Put verse 6 to the top. You're almost there. Good. Now go over here to the far left and hit those four little boxes that's joined together. Far left, look, go to the left of that. Left, left, there you go. Up, up, up a little more, up, up a little more. Right there, down, down, right there, hit that box. And what that does is bring the whole thing 
together, synchronizes it. Um, it says here, and on the end of a side, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Uh, Paul said we were feeling bad. We were battered, okay? We were tired, worn out, but God sent Titus to us, another brother in Christ. And, uh, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had uh, given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern uh, for me so that my joy was greater than ever. So he said, Titus came with good news. He said that you Corinthians do care about me and you're concerned about what's going on with me. Ardent means that you have a passion of care in your heart towards someone. It's a genuine feeling that you have towards someone. And so he's, he's telling you this man just came with good news and said, I know that you're real now. And then what else? Uh, even if I cause you sorry, and this is the part where you're getting ready to get another teaching on. Even if I cause you sorry by my letter, I do not regret it. Okay? Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorry led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godless sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. All right, that's a mouthful, right? Let's break it down. Man often sorry, is sorry for his conduct, but does not see his conduct as sin against God. For example, a person that gets caught stealing, they only feel bad because they got so there is no a sorrow there that caused them to change their behavior and never ever want to steal again. Is this making sense to you? Yeah. On the other hand, no, on a similar, similar side, you have a guy, Mr. David had seen this before, commits a crime, got caught, headline, made headlines, right? And then the guy shoots and kills himself. Because the way of the world was, you got to take yourself out. You can't overcome this. This is too huge. The embarrassment and the shame is too great to bear. And the only way out is suicide. Check out. Okay. My brother-in-law was a state police officer a few years back. Busted a pastor in the car with another man. Rolled him up because they was engaged in that. Rolled him up and he said, and the pastor begged him, don't put him on a report. And he said, because you are a pastor, I am going to. Short while, the pastor committed suicide. And so he took the world's way out. And the way of the world, sorrow that comes from the world that leads to death, the world says, get him. He gets 
He deserved everything that's happening to him or to her. Right? But God says through Jesus, I got a different approach for you. All right? Here's some things you need to consider. Crime means the transgression of man's law. Wrong means the transgression of conscious law. What does that mean? Your mind. You think it's wrong, you know it's wrong, all of a sudden you're feeling bad about even thinking or even, you know, thought about considering to do something like that. Or you may say, boy, how could I have been so stupid? Right? Because you know it went against everything that you, you believe in. That's where your value systems and all come in play. And your upbringing, all of that impacts how you respond to something. Yeah, it's called your conscious. Sin means the transgressions of God's law. Got that? And this is that the Holy Spirit had me writing this out last night, or early this morning. Few will admit having committed a crime. For example, speeding or jaywalking. Oh, I didn't break the law. Well, you just did you walk in the crosswalk? Because the state law tells us that we're supposed to do what? Go to the nearest crosswalk and cross there. I I guarantee you, Mr. David, you could write two hundred tickets alone in High Springs over one sign that's here. And I tell you where that sign is. It's right here at the end of these buildings where people go to cross the road. The sign, that sign tells drivers to do what? Stop when pedestrians are in the crosswalk. You know how many times I've even seen the police don't stop for that. But will they tell you they broke the law? No. But did they break the law? Yes. Okay. Many will admit having done wrong. For example, maybe I shouldn't have kissed his girlfriend. Okay? That's crime against what? The conscience. Because you know not to go bother with somebody else's girlfriend or boyfriend or someone's wife or something, right? Just asking for it. And then, little will admit having sinned against God. That would require them to know that God exists and that God is holy. Did you get that? That's why you see in our society certain behaviors of certain people, certain lifestyles. Oh, you can do that long. What's wrong with two people loving each other? In God love, don't God want you to love? Did you read the rest of the story, though, from God? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Why can't I go even if my mom told me I can't go? Am I my own boss? Well, if you're in your own house, yeah. But if you're in your mom's and dad's house, God said, honor your mother and your Father, it actually goes the other round. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the earth that the Lord your God gives you. 
But a lot of teenagers, they're going, I'm grown. And how old are you? <laughs> and you're still in your mom and daddy house? And you're saying that you are grown? Why aren't you paying bills then? A rent. A rent. Because I told him, I heard a brother in Christ, and I got his book down there, that said the definition of parent is pay rent. <laughs> pay rent, parent. <laughs> That's comical, isn't it? So, uh, but Paul is telling him, but godless sorrow, godless sorrow penetrates the spirit. And it calls you to tell God and Lord Jesus, Lord, I'm so sorry for doing that against you. And I know that if Jesus, if I don't fix my eyes back on you, if I don't start walking with you again and showing you my love, I know that there's a consequence for my sin. The first church listed in the book of Revelation is the book of, is the church in Ephesus. And if you read that, that account of Ephesus, they were doing some really neat things. They were doing ministry, Mr. David. They were really doing some marvelous works. Okay? And the Lord Jesus recognized that. Tamara, he said, look, you're doing good work. <coughs> he said, but there's one thing you have forgotten. He says, repent. Otherwise, turn around and go back and do the first work. And well, what's that? He said, go back and love me again. <laughs> That's the first work of every believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, every follower, every disciple is to love him. And out of that love flows the work of ministry. That's when you get to do and exercise them gift with them little ivory keys and them little black pearly keys that you like to play and sing with that beautiful voice that you sing. Because you're going back to the first work. Because you, you that first work is I love Jesus, therefore I love to play for him and I love to sing for him. Who in the Bible that did that? King David. David played before God and he's sung and even wrote those songs down and they call them what? Psalms. And he was a, probably the best musician of his day, at least one of the best, right, Mr. David? Uh, yeah, but I can kind of be a little bit of subjected on that and say yes. Yes. <laughs> So what is what is he doing as we get ready to close this out? I know it's, it's a little late. I don't even know what time it is. I lost track of time. Okay, we'll leave at 12. <laughs> I'm joking now. So godless sorrow. You can tell Paul says when a person truly means what they say to God by turning away from that wrongdoing, that sin, and turning back to Jesus or turning to Jesus. For some, it would be the first time. And that's where the word salvation comes in at. Okay? And for others, it actually also can be a salvation, but a different kind of salvation. Because what I realized the other night when I was reading in Hebrew, that the word Joshua is used not only just to save a soul, which means salvation, Yeshua, 
it also means to be saved from something else. Okay? So, by turning away from that, that, that sin, that act, that, that overt act, okay, that behavior that everybody can see, and that covert act or that covert behavior, what's that? Secrets. That secret sin. And that's one of the things that King David had prayed for. He said, Lord, keep me from secret sins. In other words, you know, when behind closed doors. A long time ago, a country singer by the name of Charlie Rich sung a song that was so famous. Remember that song? Behind closed doors. Yeah, behind closed doors. No one knows what goes on behind closed doors. And in Las Vegas. Yeah. And... We have a thing on television now. What happens in Vegas? Stays in Vegas. <laughs> Are you sure about that? <laughs> because God said, uh-uh. Uh, what happens in Vegas, I want you to change from it. I don't want you to bring that mess back over here. Okay? And in all sincerity, as we give our final thoughts for this part of the letter, Paul said, you, you want to show Jesus love? You want to show God that you love him? Then repent of your sins. It's not enough to tell God, I'm sorry. But your actions have to match it. How many times have we told our kids, I know I have. Daddy, I'm sorry. I won't do it no more. Go, oh, you don't mean it. <laughs> you don't mean it. You're going to do it again. <laughs> You're going to do it again. I heard that before. Yeah, I heard that before. But don't we do that with God? Don't we do that with Lord Jesus? So, he's really, he had really drawn a beautiful picture of what Lord Jesus looks like. And that's really the life without sin. A life that is so beautiful before the Father. A life that Jesus himself said, I always plead, I always do those things that please my Father. It's the life that the end part of, of, of Psalms 19, where the psalmist said, Oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing you. you know be acceptable and pleasing unto you okay and you really want to sing that song to God every one of us should say yes and truly mean it Lord let my actions because that's when it's saying the words of my mouth is actions and the meditation of my heart of the spirit let my life, my whole life, because that's what Paul just covered with the Corinthians, and this is the part that you got to get. He's covering the entire life of the person. And I'm not just talking about lifespan and time. I'm talking about your spirit and your body. What happens in both covers the same person. Let them both be clean before God, because both makes up the one. And that one is the same one that is made in the image of God 
and that's being transformed in the likeness of Christ by the Holy Spirit day by day. Any questions? We may not have recorded this one correctly. <laughs> but at least we talked about it. Okay. And we didn't get very far in this chapter, did we, Crystal? Yes, the first few verses. Okay. okay. We got there somewhere. We're somewhere in there, right? <laughs> we got a lot of info. Yeah, that's a lot. It is. And God doesn't give information overload. He always gives us enough. Always. Spirit knows exactly what Crystal can take. And Crystal can take a lot. Oh, man, we got to go home now? We just got started. Enough so they hunger for the rest. That's right. That's right. And so the rest of this chapter, he's going to deal with... Uh, how they dealt with someone who had mistreated him. And the Corinthians took corrected actions right away. And he told them that their actions were correct. And he told them, but be careful though, don't let those corrected actions go on too long. And then you turn around and weary the person that supposedly had done this wrong and caused that person to lose heart and want to give up on God, oh Lord Jesus, because you was constantly hammering that person. And what you call it? Overcorrect? Yeah. And, and, and you know what? A lot of times I pray and ask God with me and Matthew, because Matthew is my biggest challenge. Matthew is the most challengeable kid I have. I, I tell you, some days he wore me down. And I just have to say, Lord, please. My mom, and y'all can go home anytime you want. It's just me talking. We'll close our prayer. It's just me rambling now. Um, my mom used to wear my butt out a lot. Of all her kids, she probably wore more clothes out on me than she did in all of them put together with the switch. Boy, I was something else. Mama, I'm not going to do it no more. Yes, you are. No, ma'am. Yes, you are. Come here, boy. I know you. Uh-huh. Wacka, wacka, wacka. And, and you know what? I will go right back to it again. It's, 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 it's almost like I, I, didn't, I didn't get the lesson. I, I, I wasn't listening. And, and she would tear my butt up. My mom was one of them old-fashioned people that she's going to whoop your butt. She didn't say go stand in a corner or go mop the floor or go rake the leaves. She said, come here, I'm going to tear your behind up. And that's the way it was in them days, Mr. David. And, and, and as they, they would call it, they, they got the butter from the duck. <laughs> He's smiling and this is scaring me. <laughs> okay. Um, and so that Hard head, Sammy. Come here, boy. Yeah, I know, Ricky. And so, I think, Krista, I still have calluses on my behind right now from that old lady. <laughs> when she, 
All them years, she was my behind. <laughs> Maybe she beat me to the kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Politically correct to spank children now. Uh, I know it's just crazy, but I'm still here to tell you it didn't kill me. And one last thing, and we'll close in prayer. My mom had labored for hours, I guess, peeling pears. And I don't know if you all remember the big old white pans. They were like, you remember that can? Not, yeah, but not quite as big. And she had that full of pears on the stove, cooking them slow so that she can charm. And I ran through the kitchen while I'm cutting the, while I'm getting down, and hit that pan somehow. And that pan fell off that stove. I still want to cry now because it still hurt. <laughs> that old lady got a hold of me, and I didn't think she was going to ever let me go. Oh, man, she hurt me bad that day. She said, this is going to hurt as long as you live. She was right. I ain't lying. I told you this is going to hurt me more than it hurt you. Oh, I don't know if she ever said that, but... <laughs> I just got the craziest thought, Brother Mayor. My mom, you know, we just buried my mom last year. And she said, I'm going to get up out of this grave and tell you about behind up right now for telling that story. When you get home. <laughs> Talking my parents off the stove, how does she work? <laughs> but Jesus is Lord. Do remember that, that the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the whole purpose of Paul writing the letter is to get the Corinthians to line their lives up with Jesus in love and be the loving son and daughter of God as Jesus is to God. And the only way we can do that, embrace him, not by words, but totally by word and deed. And what? One other aspect. What's the other aspect? Because you just can't talk and you just can't. There it is. Yeah, your mind, your spirit, it has to be engaged. They have to be one. Okay? And with that, you get to love him, and he loves you back so much. You cannot love Jesus, I'm telling you. Crystal tried. Crystal got big love for her, but she cannot do the Lord. She's been trying, though. I got to give it to her. All right, you're going to close this in prayer, brother. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for this powerful message. So powerful, Lord. And I thank you that we came together and, and we and we talked about it. And we we just enjoyed the time that we had fellowship in your word, Lord. And like Pastor said, it's a beautiful picture. And we saw it. And we thank you, Lord, that you have many more special words for us to see in this in this gospel this book, Lord, until we meet again, Father. Keep us safe. Keep us close, Lord, yes, until we come back and praise you again. Looking forward to it, Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus. Yeah. Amen.